so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. I love men. I mean, my one man, but you know, the idea of men. I mean, I, mean, I love wow. the idea that God created are we talking there? men, I know, right? but oh. if he had entrusted them with bringing children into the world after the fall, <laughs> the population would die out very quickly. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where every week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester and with me... In the virtual studio today are my co-hosts, Lindsay Nicolay. Hello, everybody. The only one in Nashville currently while we're recording. That's right. I'm back in North Carolina, and Brent is, well, somewhere else. Brent, say hello and tell us where you are. Hello. I'm, I'm coming to you from Illinois, and we are, we are spanning the continent to bring you this podcast. That's right. And uh, it's a big day. A couple things I'll say at the start of the show. Number one, uh, we are coming to you from this kind of post-SBC fog. And so if, uh, you know, whatever happens in the show today, just know that we had a, uh, a great time at the annual meeting last week and we are still uh, recovering from the great time that we had. Secondly, uh, I've talked to more, I was telling Brent and Lindsay right before we started recording, I've talked to more uh, people that have listened to the podcast in the last couple of weeks than I've talked to probably the whole time we've been doing this. And uh, I've noticed that several people have left us uh, ratings and reviews, which I beg for at the end of every episode, but I always like tuck it at the end. And so I'm sure by that time, people are uh, people are kind of moving on to other things. So if you could, uh, and you like the podcast and want to help spread the word, if you could go into your podcast app and leave us a rating or a brief review, we would really, really appreciate it. It's been very cool uh, in the, uh, I don't know, 15 months or so that we've been doing this podcast to see uh, it continue to grow uh, in listeners and continue to spread around. And so we are, we're grateful for you and for helping us keep this thing going. And so Lindsay, so that we can keep this thing going, why don't you tell us what the ERLC has been talking about this week? All right. Well, it's that time of the day again when I give you a few of the pieces that we have featured on ERLC.com this week. And I wanted to start out with a name that you will recognize because we have been uh, talking about him almost every week. Jordan Wooten, who is one of our channel editors and a former intern, has an excellent piece about a Pew Center research study that was done. So the title is, What's the Future of the Global Religious Landscape? Three Takeaways from the Pew Center Projections. And so the Pew Center released a report titled, The Future of World Religions, Population Growth Projections, 2010 through 2050. And he just reviews these really well and gives us takeaways. So I just wanted to highlight those real quick just to pique your interest so that you'll go ahead and check this out on our site. His first point is more religious, not less. So that might be surprising with the secularization that we're experiencing in America, but around the world, 
people are going to become more religious. Uh, and that just goes to show that that we are looking for something transcendent to cling to. And that's because as believers, we would say we're made in God's image, and God has made us in a way that we would seek for Him and search for Him. The second takeaway is the continued growth of Islam. So by 2050, the study says, the number of Muslims will nearly equal the number of Christians around the world. And then the third is about Christianity's net losses. So the study said, over the coming decades, Christians are expected to experience the largest net losses from switching. Globally, about 40 million people are projected to switch into Christianity, while 106 million people are projected to leave with most joining the ranks of the religiously unaffiliated. And all of these things might seem distressing. They may make you fearful or lead you to hand-wringing. But what I appreciate about Jordan's piece is that he calls us to view this as an opportunity, an opportunity to share the gospel, an opportunity to be able to give um, a reason for the hope that we have within us, an opportunity to take these projections seriously But as he says, not allow them to drive us to despair, but to be driven to carry out our mission. So if you want to get pumped up for what the next uh, decades hold, I'd recommend that you would check out Jordan's article. The next article I want to highlight covers an issue that is a part of a series of issues that we have continued to talk about on our site because These are very real issues that people are grappling with, and as Christians, we want to be able to answer Christianly about them from the Bible, and we want to be able to answer with compassion. And this article by Wendy Alsop covers the issue of gender dysphoria, and the title is Four Ways to Equip Your Kids to Walk with Friends Who Experience Gender Dysphoria. Now, if you're from my generation or generations previous, you may think, do our kids really encounter people that struggle with this? Is this is this really a thing? And, and the reality is, it is a thing. And it is something that Christians need to be able to walk alongside their friends with in truth and in love. And the fall has marked us and has affected us physically, mentally, spiritually. And so it's not a surprise that some people would be in great distress about a variety of things, including their gender. And at the ERLC, you know that we cling to God's Word, that in the beginning, God created us male and female, and that's how He intends for us to live. There are two biological sexes, but we also know the story of the fall. And so Wendy gives us four points that we can carry with us as we talk to our children and as we walk with them through these difficult issues. And they are listen first, ask deeper questions, pray with gospel hope to the God we can all trust, and speak gospel truth. And of course, it doesn't line up as simply as that as we're walking through real-life situations, but this is a good starting place. And then finally, an article by our co-host, Josh Wester, with six reflections from SBC 21, the annual meeting last week. Um, He covers several things from the spirit of unity that pervaded the annual meeting, sexual abuse, and the stance that the messengers took there. The new president, Ed Litton, it it was a close race, and we're excited about Ed Litton and his future as president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Josh highlights several of the sermons, including one given by J.D. Greer, the outgoing president. 
He covers the events and exhibits. The exhibit hall is always a fun time when you run into different people and you you get all the swag. And Southern Baptists, if there's one thing they love, it is free stuff. <laughs> and so they, they love to get all the swag from the different exhibits. He covers uh, the resolutions. And I just would say that that I'm thankful Josh provided this because it's it's hopeful. And it also, if you weren't at the annual meeting or if you find yourself trying to remember what in the world happened there, Josh just gives this helpful rundown uh, that will help you remember what happened, will give you hope for the future of Christians in the Southern Baptist Convention, and will also give you points to pray about as we look to how the Lord will use us. Lindsay, that's a that's a good rundown, and uh, that the second piece that you mentioned um, by Wendy Alsop, down kind of towards the the bottom uh, of the section, you know, she gives kind of four um, helpful guideposts to navigating these conversations, and the last one was speak gospel truth, and I love how she kind of wraps up the penultimate. Uh, paragraph. She says, our bodies matter. God did not make a mistake when he made us male or female. We may wrestle with how God made us, but Christ's embodied resurrection gives us hope that we will be at peace with the bodies he gave us for eternity. There is no dysphoria in heaven. And that's such a beautiful sentiment. And, you know, the reality is there's, there, this isn't some, um, giant population of people out there that that are wrestling with this. And so we may have some listeners who um, never really come into contact with this or have uh, children uh, who come into contact uh, with this with their friends. And so um, some of this, it, it just may not even be relevant. But there will be some people whose children do, whether it's at school or at sports programs. And for those children, uh, for those individuals, um, even though it may be a rare occurrence, but for those individuals who are kind of struggling with this, it's a big deal in their life. Well, and you know, Brent, the thing that I like about this article too is that the points that she shares, though the certain situation many may not encounter, the points are still relevant for people who walk through a variety of issues in life and then a variety of gender identity issues or just sexual sin issues, whatever it might be, there's always a time for us to listen and ask questions and pray and share the gospel and share the truth of what the Bible teaches. So even if you don't know someone who struggles with this, it's still applicable to many other situations that you will encounter as you walk with the Lord in this world. That's exactly right, uh, Lindsay. And I literally had a conversation with a pastor who reached out to us whose church is walking uh, with a young man who's experiencing gender dysphoria right now. And then I, I posted about that conversation on Twitter just to try to encourage people. And when I did, I had another uh, person reach out to me who is a student pastor who is dealing with this situation. And so uh, you're, you're right that this is only going to become more common and the thing that more and more Christians are dealing with and having to think well about. And so this is why we strive to put these kind of resources on our website uh, is to make them available to people, both parents, pastors, and anyone who is working through, uh, walking through difficult issues 
like this. And then just to jump back to the annual meeting for a second, I mentioned at the beginning that we're still kind of in this fog. Uh, the truth is that it was it was overwhelmingly positive. And I know that, you know, not every single person that walked out of the annual meeting was thrilled about about all the aspects or whatever. But in general, I mean, there was just just sweet spirit of unity uh, that was present there. And hopefully, um, you know, I've been able to tell people when they've asked me, how was the SBC? How was the annual meeting? Uh, that we are on a very positive trajectory and I'm very encouraged about where we are. And so, uh, those, those six reflections there just kind of show, uh, that what I believe is a very positive trajectory. Yeah. And it was the positive trajectory. I think that we all needed internally at the ERLC, individually as Christians, um, corporately as churches, and just also for the watching world as they look at our witness as a Southern Baptist and what we're stating about who we believe our God is and what we believe the Bible teaches and, and how we're going to walk, to quote our former president, Russell Moore, with convictional kindness, how we're going to walk with grace and truth uh, in this world. So I'm thankful that you wrote, wrote that reflection about just the great annual meeting that we had. As always, there are plenty of other resources on our site. We are so glad to serve our brothers and sisters so that they can be salt and light in the places that God has providentially placed them. But for now, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. And that brings us to the culture section for the week. So Brent, uh, from somewhere in Illinois, why don't you tell us what's going on in the world? All right, thanks for that, Josh. We begin with a scary situation that is unfolding down in Miami, Florida. CBS News reports that one side of a condo building north of Miami Beach collapsed early Thursday morning, killing at least one person, authorities said. Dozens of fire rescue units responded to the huge pile of rubble at the scene in Surfside, Florida. The mayor there said one person was confirmed dead so far and at least nine injured. He explained that two people were taken to a hospital and one of them died. The other eight were hurt and treated at the scene. CBS Miami says rescuers are desperately trying to reach trapped residents. Some may be stuck in the rubble, the station says, adding that firefighters are using truck-mounted ladders to reach people stuck on the balconies. And I bring this up just because, uh, you know, this is certainly something we've seen several disasters uh, over the the last week. Uh, Tropical storm Claudette uh, came ashore in uh, Louisiana and and, um, southern Alabama, and uh, 13 people uh, lost their lives there. And so it's just, uh, it's a reminder that uh, we need to be a people of prayer. And particularly when you see stories like this, uh, we're trying to help our children in, in our home understand, hey, when, when you see something like this, just go ahead and stop and pray um, that the Lord will help these families and folks that, that might be in these situations specifically, because uh, there's certainly been some, some major issues recently. I was watching this on the news, and it really seems unbelievable. It's not something that you imagine happening in America, just because of our, uh, you know, we're not a third world country. We have these standards that buildings and codes that buildings have to be built to. But I was I was watching the news and there was such a, um, just a stark image of the collapsed part of the building. And in one of the upper rooms that was still showing, right where the floor had fallen, it collapsed, there was a set of bunk beds. I was like, oh my word. It was just heartbreaking I just can't imagine one thirty in the morning when people were asleep and things like this just remind us of how, like COVID, uh, how little control that we have uh, 
in our daily safety. So we just need to be praying. That's right. All right, next, uh, a major Supreme Court ruling about online free speech was handed down this week. This comes to us from ABC News. The Supreme Court on Wednesday ruled in a major free speech case involving when schools can enforce rules of conduct on social media. So this is a little bit involved, but you have to kind of get the full context to understand. The case involves Branding Levy, who didn't make the varsity cut as a freshman cheerleader for her school, posting a vulgar message to the social media app Snapchat, she recounted to ABC News. Days later, her school accused her of breaching a code of conduct and suspended her from cheerleading for an entire year. In an 8-to-1 decision this week, authored by Justice Stephen Breyer, the court said schools' authority to regulate student speech is highly limited in off-campus settings, including on social media. But the court rejected a sweeping lower court standard, loudly criticized by educators, administrators, and some parents that categorically banned schools from any ability to police student speech outside of the schoolhouse gate. Uh, so this is a case that's been several years in, in the making. Um, uh, this, this occurred four years ago. Uh, so it's it, just another uh, moment to appreciate how long it takes some of these cases to wind their way through uh, the judicial system and make it all the way to the Supreme Court. But uh, the decision was hailed uh, by free speech advocates, and it was the first real significant time uh, that the court weighed into, uh, well, more or less, the, the kind of digital public square that we now live in uh, with social media being such a, a ubiquitous part of our lives. You know, this is actually a really interesting case that I've been following uh, because it was the Supreme Court taking up what is an incredibly difficult question to answer in the digital age, which is where does the jurisdiction of something like a public school end? And so obviously this behavior was something that happened off campus, but it directly affects their behavior on campus. And it wasn't clear at all to me which direction the Supreme Court was going to go in this case, because you can see that schools have a real interest in uh, being able to uh, adjudicate or potentially punish uh, students for certain kinds of speech or conduct that a student might engage in while they're off campus. But at the same time, uh, students, just because they are enrolled in public school, don't forfeit their civil liberties. They, they still have the uh, freedom uh, to express themselves. And in this case, the Supreme Court, you know, it didn't, it didn't set down uh, with any total or, or real finality uh, where the jurisdiction of the school ends. But it did say that in this case, uh, that, that that was too far and that the students' uh, rights were, were essentially violated by the school. Well, and I'm also reminded of a friend of the ERLC, David French. He put this out there, and it's a, it's a good reminder. You can celebrate free speech and not necessarily uh, say that you are affirming the content of any given person's uh, ability to use that speech. And certainly in this case, as Christians, uh, we would not affirm uh, what, uh, what this individual uh, posted on her social media messaging uh, in response to getting cut by the cheerleading squad. Uh, But that said, uh, the ability to have uh, free and open speech is is something I think that we all, especially in an American context, uh, can can be supportive of. You're right. I mean, that's that's totally critical uh, because you can imagine, especially as Christians, as we are expressing things particularly related to sexual ethics that uh, may be deemed offensive uh, to to some, uh, we don't want at all uh, the 
public school officials or high school principal or whatever uh, to have the authority to try to restrict or to punish uh, students on, on that basis. All right. So moving on to the COVID front, uh, this is reported by CBS News. Whether it's airports, NBA games, or concerts, crowds are gathering across the nation as Americans start a return to pre-pandemic life. But with just 45% of Americans fully vaccinated, and only 16 states that have fully vaccinated more than half of their populations, health experts are worried about the spread of the highly contagious Delta variant. It is 60% more contagious than the Alpha variant discovered in the UK, which was the last variant of major concern, according to infectious disease expert Michael Olsterholm. Quote, in the areas where they have large pockets of unvaccinated people, we can surely expect to see surges in cases, in some situations challenging the healthcare capacity of that local area, Olsterholm told CBS. Well, the, the good news is, uh, for those of us uh, who are fully vaccinated, which all three of us are, there are studies that are showing the, the vaccines are working against uh, this Delta variant. And so I would just use this as a moment to uh, yet again encourage people to, to please go get vaccinated uh, because the, the side effects, if you have any uh, from a COVID vaccine, are uh, much more endurable uh, than, than potentially the, the virus itself. And um, so this is something that, that I think uh, we'll be watching throughout the summer. Um, I mean, experts are concerned about this, but hopefully, hopefully we will be able to avoid uh, a major wave like we saw uh, last summer or even uh, this past winter. I think that's well said, Brent. Uh, we still want to keep encouraging people to get vaccinated. It was so cool to be at the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting uh, last week and be around all of these people. And you know, we didn't have to wear masks. We didn't have to do social distancing. It was it was like life was finally back to normal. And and that's the way things are supposed to be. You know, after I got over the shock factor of coming out of a quarantine life, I have really, really started to enjoy and embrace normal life again. And it's amazing. And so uh, we don't want to see this uh, Delta variant be able to, because it is it is more contagious and it's a, in some cases leading to much uh, more devastating consequences or side effects or, or whatever um, from being infected with the, with the virus. And so uh, we don't want that for anyone. So if you haven't been vaccinated yet, we would just encourage you to do it. You've seen that, you know, all of us have had it. We have had very, uh, we had very limited and, and brief side effects that lasted for a day or so. And all of us are back on our feet and living our lives normally. And so we just uh, commend that to you one more time. And if you do have questions about the vaccine uh, and hadn't had not yet taken the time to look into it, you can find tons and tons of resources uh, from an informed uh, Christian perspective about both the ethics and, and, the, and the science on our website at ERLC.com. And in related news, U.S. life expectancy has taken a huge drop in 2020. So NBC News is reporting this. The average life expectancy in the United States plummeted in 2020, widening the life expectancy gap between the U.S. and other high-income countries. The decline was particularly sharp among Hispanic and Black Americans, a new study found. Health experts anticipated life expectancy would drop during the pandemic, but how much it did came as a surprise. Between 2018 and 2020, the decrease in average life expectancy of birth in the U.S. was roughly 1.9 years, eight and a half times the average decrease in 16 comparable countries, which was about two and a half months. The decrease widened the gap between the U.S. and its peers to nearly five years. 
but the difference is much larger among Black and Hispanic Americans. And, and look, we we talked about this uh, throughout 2020 and the early part of this year about the disparate effect that uh, COVID was having on uh, our Black and Brown uh, peers out there in particular. I mean, communities of color were hit extremely hard uh, during COVID, and there's a whole lot of factors uh, that go into that. But now that we are starting to get uh, the the data back in about deaths. I mean, th- this reality is is hitting home yet again. And uh, but look, no one was spared. Uh, that's th- th- I mean, that much is certainly true. And with the overall uh, life expectancy uh, taking a hit, it's just a reminder that we need to to take this disease seriously. I mean, as we're talking about this Delta variant uh, becoming the the main uh, strain here in the U.S. domestically, uh, we, we need to double down and do everything we can to just make sure that those people who are in our midst that we may not even realize are there, uh, who are vulnerable, uh, are thought of and taken care of. Yeah, I think that that helps put it in perspective when you see the actual like significant drop in life expectancy because... A lot of times when we're talking about COVID, I think most people think, well, some people get it and they get a little sick. Some people get it and they get really sick. Uh, an extreme minority of people end up on a ventilator. Uh, but we're looking at like these big numbers uh, to show us this significant uh, decrease in, in life expectancy. That's something to absolutely take seriously. And it's not that we want people to be able to live forever, but we certainly don't want to, uh, when your life expectancy in the United States is trending in the wrong direction, that should be concerning to everyone, especially when you see uh, this kind of disparity with uh, ethnic minority populations. That is, uh, it's more than unfortunate. It's something that actually needs time and attention to try to try to bring about whatever remedies are possible. And I think it shows, not to continue to harp on COVID, uh, but it shows that COVID wasn't overblown. It was more, it was more serious than than experts originally projected. And so, again, the the vaccine is so important. If you feel comfortable getting it, if your conscience will allow you to, and and just to um, point out once again what Josh said, we have lots of of resources on our site about coronavirus and the vaccines that will help you, we believe, to make an informed decision. I just wanted to jump back also to the Delta variant really quick and say that I was taking my son to the doctor three times this week because he has uh, RSV or something like that. But uh, I asked one of the pediatricians about the Delta variant and kids, and he said, right now, kids look to be doing pretty well. And so he said he believes that kids are doing okay. And so that gave me peace of mind as a parent, and maybe it will give you that as well. All right, so I kind of feel like I'm, I'm ending on a down note. As a matter of fact, several of these stories have have kind of been downers, but I think this one's important, particularly for uh, the, the families and, and parents uh, who are our listeners. So uh, Sesame Street introduced a family with two dads this week on a new episode. So CNN is reporting this. There are some new faces on Sesame Street and they're bringing a new layer of diversity to the decades-old children's show. The show dropped its Family Day episode Thursday on HBO Max and YouTube. The episode featured a family with two gay dads. On the episode, Nina introduces her brother and his husband, played by Chris Costa and Alex Weissman, as well as their daughter, played by Olivia Perez, to Elmo and his friends as they celebrate Family Day. 
uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure like many of uh, the folks in our audience, uh, our, our kids have watched Sesame Street from time to time. And, you know, we've we've actually tried to prep our kids, um, not just for what they see on TV, but just what they see out and about that, uh, you know, there, there are some folks uh, who don't have the same view uh, of marriage as we do, uh, the biblical view of marriage. And, um, you know, we've had some some healthy conversations as, as they get a little bit older and they really start noticing more. I'm, I'm sure that we will have to have more in-depth conversations, but that's the way our families approached it. Speaking of children, you might hear a little guest visitor in the background, my son, who I'm hoping stays quiet right now. But Brent, I think that this just points out that as Christian parents or those who are discipling children, you have to be having these conversations and you have to be having them at younger and younger ages than in the past because we just live in a world where children will be encountering this, where they will be getting discipled by the world if us as Christian parents are not intentional to disciple them according to the Word of God. And um doesn't mean we want to strike against things, you know, not— you know, make a list of shows that we're not going to watch, although that may be what you're comfortable with as a parent. That just means we equip them to see the beauty of marriage as God has created it and the and His plan for human flourishing. And then we equip them with, with the truth of the gospel, that though we are fallen and we choose sin over God, that He sent His Son to pursue us and to bring us back to the Father, and that's offered to every single individual. And so— um, the other day, I well, the fact that we're going to have to be talking to our kids younger and younger just reminds me that the other day, my daughter was watching super simple songs. I don't know if y'all are familiar with those. They're for little kids, toddlers. Uh, they're just teach them, you know, ABCs and different things. And I just happened to look over, and she was watching a song about um, taking a bath. And just a simple song, you know, about washing your hair and all that kind of stuff. And I looked over, and they were— there were two dads in one of the clips. This was like a two-minute song. There were two dads, and then there were two moms. And then there was like one dad and maybe a mom and a dad. And I was just like, wow. Like, her exposure to that happens really fast. I have to be intentional, and we're going to be have to be having these conversations. Um, I can't be haphazard about it. So that was just rambling to come in and say— I'm glad you brought it up because we need to be aware and we need to be proactive. Yeah, I think you guys have shared some really great thoughts there. Um, the reality is that as Christians, we're called to live in a countercultural, we're called to be countercultural people. We're called to live a lifestyle that totally is in contradiction and distinction from the world. And so uh, we can, can expect that the world is going to continue to try to normalize sin uh, and even through kids shows like Sesame street. And, and that's really unfortunate, but it is the reality and the burden for Christian parents is to be prepared to, as you, uh, as you walk with your kids through their lives. And, and as Linda just said, uh, even as they are very, very young, you're going to have to be very intentional about having these conversations with them and about trying to, uh, uh, share with them the good news uh, and the beautiful truth of God's design for men and women and his pattern for human sexuality. And and that's something that none of us necessarily want to do. When you become parents, that's not what you're looking forward to, you know, when you're uh, thinking about raising your children, but it is an absolute necessity. It's, it's, it's totally vital. And 
none of that is stuff that we signed up for when we became parents. But in fact, it is all stuff that we signed up for when we became parents, because it's our job to raise our kids and teach them how to follow Jesus faithfully in the world. And this is a huge part of that. All right. Well, Lindsay, Josh, that's your look at This Week in Culture. So now it's time for the lunchroom, where every week we tell you the things we've been talking about with one another. Lindsay, you're up first this week, so tell us what's on your mind. All right. So once again, you might hear a a special guest star in the background, my little five-month-old. But I wanted to highlight two things. So my husband and I have just started watching the second season of The Chosen. We've talked about this in the past, uh, but it is so good. It's so well done. It's not kitschy. It's not cheesy. It's... It follows Jesus, the first season follows Jesus when he begins his ministry and starts to call the disciples to himself, and the second season explores more of that. And it's just neat to remember how the disciples were humans. So in this last episode we watched, even the disciples were having some infighting within themselves because, of course, fallen sinful human beings are not going to agree. And and it was it's good to remember that Jesus was fully human while fully God, that um one episode, he had healed a bunch of people all day, and when he came back to the camp, he was just utterly exhausted. And I just, I forget about that. And I just love the way that they portrayed different things while remaining faithful to what is recorded in Scripture. So I would highly recommend that, and you can watch it for free. And then the second thing is an article by Tim Keller, who basically, if he writes it, you should probably read it. Uh, but th- it's titled Social Media Identity and the Church. So who among us doesn't struggle? Who among us in the church doesn't struggle with social media and identity? There's probably going to be something in there that you can learn. Uh, and our our more techie people on staff have really highly recommended it as well. So I just wanted to leave y'all with those two things. That's really good, Lindsay. And um, for me this week, I have actually already two times listened to uh, a brand new podcast coming out from Christianity Today called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, and it is being done by uh, Mike Cosper, who is a friend of the ERLC and just all around great guy. Uh, he is uh, walking through the narrative of Mars Hill Church in Seattle that was pastored by uh, Mark Driscoll. And for me, this is so interesting because uh, I was one of those people that was totally, totally discipled uh, by Mark Driscoll's uh, ministry. I was uh, downloading his sermon audio every single week. I would listen to it. I probably listened to, I don't know, over 50%, if not close to you know 75% or more of the sermons that he preached, or at least that were available online when he was at Mars Hill. And uh, the the church just grew in, in this really secular city, like we think of Seattle. Uh, the church uh, expanded to, at one point, being almost 15,000 people, around 15,000 people uh, with multiple, multiple congregations uh, spread, uh, not just uh, in that state, but in multiple states. And uh, ultimately, it it just totally imploded. And it did, and it kind of revolved around uh, this man, Mark Driscoll, who who is still in pastoral ministry, but that was a devastating thing. And listening to this podcast has been good uh, so far just because uh, it's causing me to try to remember hopefully the right lessons uh, to take away from from all of that. Because as someone who was tremendously shaped by his ministry, one of the big things that I took away from that is that it doesn't matter how much talented you are, how gifted you are, uh, or how much theology you know, uh, nothing, nothing can 
account for bad character. Character is essential, and it doesn't matter whether you're talking about the pastorate or other things. Uh, it is indispensable. And so uh, I've been walking through this. would encourage you to listen to it if you have any interest, but it has been fascinating to me. I listened to, like I said, I listened to the first episode two times this week just because I was that uh, that drawn in. All right. And for, for my lunchroom this week, you know, we if you just sit there and watch the news or you doom scroll on your favorite social media app, uh, you know, as a Christian, you could feel like all hope is lost. And <laughs> the reality is we should be the most hopeful people uh, out there. And uh, that was confirmed this week with a new study that came out from the American Bible Society. And our colleagues over at Baptist Press actually reported on the study, and it says that Scripture-engaged Americans are more hopeful and forgiving, study finds. And so we'll link to this, but a couple of things that it pointed out. One of the releases from the American Bible Study said this, regardless of relationship with the Bible or the church, people experience hurt. In the midst of these difficulties, though, the Bible and the church make a critical difference. First, when people hurt, many of them turn to the Bible for help and comfort. Second, when they turn to the Bible, they are better able to cope and they experience higher levels of hope and flourishing. And finally, when they are rooted in Scripture, they are better able to forgive. And what I love about this is it it doesn't say uh, that Christians um, are less likely to experience trauma or stress. As a matter of fact, their study confirms that, if anything, we experience the same or more, uh, and we can identify those levels of stress or those specific incidents of trauma. Uh, but because we are scripture engaged, which is the term that they have, we actually have more hope. And that's just what I thought was fantastic. And there's another quote in here. It says, a strong relationship with the Bible often coexists with and can even be compelled by the hardships of life. Being rooted in the Bible does not preclude tough circumstances but may provide respite and hope in spite of them. And like, that's, that's what the Bible says. We, we are called uh, to be foreigners and exiles in this culture and not to make war with it, but to point people to a better reality to come. And uh, I just love this story. I love this study and the fact that it, it should confirm for many of us what we know is true, which is the Bible uh, was uh, given to us by God, and it is it, it points us towards hope because there is truth in it. That's so good, Brent. And shout out to uh, Baptist Press for uh, providing that coverage. In fact, shout out to our, our friends at Baptist Press for the unbelievable work they've been doing over the last uh, several uh, several weeks in the lead up to the annual meeting, coming out of the annual meeting, and then all managing to cover other things going on uh, that Christians care about in the world. Aside from that, it has been uh, pretty amazing to watch all of that happen. And we are incredibly grateful for the work that they do. That's going to do it for the show today. We want to say thanks so much as always for listening. And if you like the podcast and want to help spread the word, please consider going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or a brief review. And if you like the show, you can share the episode on social media. It just helps other people discover the show. We're always grateful for your support. But for Brent and Lindsay and myself, we want to say thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to being back next week with more content. 